this week on the Backtable podcast. I was actually just providing training to someone today new to our organization, and I was explaining the the leave process, and she uh, lost her husband in 2021. She was telling me her own experiences. She said she was so focused on work that her husband actually got a very difficult diagnosis in January, and he was gone by March. Wow. Unfortunately, and the one thing she regrets is not taking the time and spending it with him. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Backtable ENT Podcast, where we discuss all things ENT and more. We bring you the best and brightest in our specialty and subspecialty. And as many of you probably know by now, I often bring experts from other fields. My name is Julie Wei. I'm a pediatric otolaryngologist who's been passionate for over a decade on all topics related to physician well-being. So today, I'm delighted our guest is Ms. Tammy Santiago. I'm so excited to discuss the topic of how to take and go on a leave of absence because I know from experience, physicians tend to know very little on the subject unless they have had to take leave, as in my case. As always on Backtable, our goal is for you to take something from our show today to your practice. Hi, Tammy. Welcome. Hi. Thank you. I've been looking forward to this episode because you have a very cool and rare expertise on the topic of managing leave of absence. So thanks for coming on Backtable ENT. But I know this episode is applicable for all specialties and subspecialties. So maybe we start by sharing with our listeners where you are today, your background, and your current role. Of course. Yes. Thank you, Dr. Wei. Oh, call me Julie. It's okay. <laughs> you, you don't have snotty nose and you're not a kid. So we're good. Well, yeah. thank you. You can tell I've been in healthcare a lot, a long time. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for the invitation. I am currently the director of leave management and an HR partner at Brandywine Living, which is an assisted living facility in the Mid-Atlantic region. Employs about 2,400 employees and were distributed across seven different states. But prior to my current role, I worked for a pediatric healthcare organization, which is where we met. I handled the absence management needs for approximately eight to 9,000 employees that were spread out across six different states. So that's a little bit of my background. Yes. So I have to admit, first of all, it was such a gift and so refreshing and incredible when I met you. So we'll share a little bit later about specifics on why I had to learn, wanted to learn about the topic and how you help not just me personally, but, wow, thousands of physicians, right, and, and others in the last organization we both worked at. Can I ask, I have to admit, I'm curious, like how or why did you choose a career in human resource? You know, these two letters, HR, were there any special personal stories? You know, I know nothing about HR other than my interactions. Yes, of course. So I have actually been working in the healthcare fields for about 20 years, not all of which were in HR. Like many of HR professionals, I actually fell into the HR career 
As a matter of fact, early in my healthcare career, I worked specifically for the ENT department. What? Yes, I didn't know yes. that about you. Okay. <laughs> even more relevant I, for today's episode. I know. That's why we kind of had a special connection. We didn't even know. So I did work for the ENT group and I scheduled surgeries for them back when no I was way. in my young age. I learned everything that there were to know about ENT from a perspective of a surgical scheduler and a clinical scheduler. From there, I continued to grow and took on a lot of responsibilities from an administrative perspective. Wow. And my career kind of transitioned into hospital administration. And from there, I was taking on kind of different roles and responsibilities in hospital administration, like managing policies, teaching classes and facilitating classes around leadership development, employee recognition and professional development. And somehow HR found me and made me a pretty good candidate to join the team officially. I joined to manage specifically the leaves. I I joined specifically to be the expert on the HR world and took a few very long classes on FMLA, ADA, which is the American with Disabilities Act, workers' compensation and became certified. And I think that what attracted me the most was the ability to be able to support others. You certainly did. One fact that I want to share with the audience is my jaw dropped when I realized in our last organization, you were the only person managing leave for an organization up to over 9,000 employees. And I certainly recognize we can say that, well, thank God, not 50% of your workforce was on leave at the same time. But I really was humbled and just kind of thought, huh, wow, one person. And remember, first thing I asked is, well, what happens if you're out sick? (laughs) (laughs) And the second thing is, hey, you know what? I um, Thanks for sharing your background. For this ENT audience, I don't know, you might get some phone calls recruiting you, anything from a surgery (laughs) scheduler for ENT up to, you know, hospital administration. All joking aside, I think I want to share with our listeners why I'm passionate about the topic, because this is the story of why I reached out then to HR and met with you and had the chance to work with you in your role as a manager of leave and absence along with others, so that what I'm really proud of we'll share with the listeners is that we were able to create a palpable product that supported over 9,000 employees and educated the managers, the physician leaders, so everybody knows how to go on leave because it turned out none of us really knew how. So if you recall, you know, I still am close and keep in touch with this physician colleague. This is a a female who uh, just right? Something none of us dare think about and very close to my heart as I lost my mother to breast cancer. She was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer, obviously had to manage leave probably with your help, but it was through her feedback to me, not just as a friend and colleague, but if you recall, I spearheaded creating a medical staff health and wellness committee represented by champions and not just physicians, advanced practitioners, trainees. And from that perspective is when I, it opened my eyes, what she shared with me as she was going through navigating surgery, chemo, radiation, while dealing with all the nuances of leave. And I think that's when I reached out and had no idea 
the several weeks of collaboration and what would come of it. Do you recall that? You must remember that, right? I do. I certainly do remember that case. I have to ask you, was that particular physician's experience typical, you know, as far as just being like, had no idea, paperwork, process, steps, timing, what to do to do it, quote unquote, right? Yes. Unfortunately, Julie, yes. Countless stories just like that one. Okay. Let me ask you then right off the bat, why do you think, I mean, I know why I think physicians are often unaware of policies, information about taking a leave of absence. I've always thought about this and um, we've had a lot of conversations around it. And I think that it's sort of a two-pronged issue. The first one is more universal in the sense that it affects everyone, whether you're a physician or not a physician, right? We never plan to take a leave of absence unexpectedly. Unexpectedly, you're right, right? Other than paternity, maternity, that's right. Exactly. If it's a parental leave and it's usually that's a happy occurrence and you're looking forward to it, you're somewhat planning it, you're preparing for it, you don't know the exact date most of the time, but you know, it's, it's a happy occasion. We don't plan for the unexpected, especially when it's our own health or the health of a loved one. The second reason that I have observed specifically to physicians is that the job the physicians have is to care for the patient and often caring for the whole unit, the whole family, which is already a very complex system, the healthcare system. It leaves very little time to narrow down on the paperwork and intricacies of what can surround a leave of absence. The leave of absence in general, it's not a process that is intuitive or easy to navigate. And so that is kind of like the perfect storm. It's not preparing, not knowing, not being your nature to be into that kind of level of detail. And a very stressful time. It's an incredibly stressful time. So we don't, you're absolutely right. 100%. Well, this yeah. is why I wanted to do this episode in hopes that Yay. wherever we can have impact and help people, right, prepare for the unexpected, at least they leave with a little bit of awareness. So let me ask you this, um, representing the physicians, do you think physicians as a group take leave less or more compared to other roles in healthcare organization or systems? Less. Hands down. Okay. Less time. When I have a physician case, it is almost always because the situation is dire. It's really serious and there's no other options left on the table but leave. Okay. So if I hear you correctly, I want to drive this point home because, you know, over the past decade, I continue to reflect and write about physicians giving ourselves permission to be human, right? I can't even conceive of leave and never experienced it in 20 years until I was disabled, right? Wow. When you say dire, are you able to share generically, is it their own health, typically, like some horrific diagnosis? Absolutely. Leave, as we will talk about a little bit, obviously, can be involved in taking care of your own health or taking care of a loved one. And in physician cases, you power through, you muscle through, you deal with what you have to deal with at home and in your personal life. But it's not until you're physically unable to continue to work that you're in need of a leave. And at that point, it's kind of the only option on the table. I always knew the reason I can, like, just meeting you was was a breath of fresh air because you you get 
us. And it's nice to have somebody that understands and validates that type of sometimes very unhealthy thinking and behavior that's so deeply ingrained since our training, right? Curious. Also, have you observed differences across gender, race, ethnicity, or career stages? Or is it just really all variable based on personal professional reasons that, you know, make somebody take leave? Yeah, it is variable, but more interesting is the fact that we actually have very little data to analyze because there are very few cases in any organization of physicians taking leave. And so I haven't particularly noticed other than, of course, female physicians take on the majority of the leave cases, but we're actually adding on the fact that maternity leave is a thing. And so based on my personal experience, leaves that are not related to a maternity or parental leave are usually coming from physicians that are sort of mid-career, often at the peak of their professional career, very busy often in leadership positions and carrying a very heavy clinical load. Yeah, wow. Okay, so one of the things I'm so excited about is I want to dive into, this episode simply won't cover everything, but I want to dive into some definition, some key information that you want our physician audience to know, right, about the topic. So I want to first call out and admit this. In my own experience, and not with you necessarily, but even in my organization prior to the one we're at, I have to call out that a lot of physicians may perceive HR (laughs) as two letters that evoke some negativity, right? Like my experience hearing or perception is that it usually has to do with some horrible physician behavior. We aren't used to thinking about HR as this incredible place of resource, guidance counselor on benefits and interactions with you and that it really changed that for me. So I have to ask you, as someone who worked in HR for so long, when it comes to doctors, you know, I I just thought HR was like involved with behavioral issues or performance issues. Am I wrong? Is this the opportunity to clarify for our audience? Hey, that's not it. Absolutely. I'm I'm trying to use this opportunity as, you know, sort of spreading the knowledge wide and far about HR. And of course, I came into HR knowing willingly that it has a negative connotation. And I remember at the time, my friends and my coworkers were like, are you sure you want to go into HR? And so the truth is that a human resources partner does more than personnel issues and employee relations issues. A good HR partner is going to be able to get involved in employee engagement, in retention, in succession planning, in compensation, leader coaching, performance management, like you mentioned, benefits, and of course, leave management. And we're there with the purpose of being a resource, hence the R of HR. Right. And so a good HR partner usually gets into HR because they really want to help people. And so we're supposed to be the people that you will actually reach out when you don't know how to handle something, whatever that may be in your career. It could be in your personal life as well, considering that the benefits are a direct impact into your life at home and and your family. And it's also no surprise that the industry out there, you're probably going to hear the HR term being used differently. 
Mm-hmm. FTC mm-hmm. has such a negative connotation. Some companies are calling them people operations or employee experience team. Ah, okay. Um, yes, trying to move away from that negative connotation that HR has had in the past. Okay, so I didn't imagine it. <laughs> No, not at all. If you have heard that word, people manager or people operations, it's just another word for HR, which is fine. Yep. Both will work and evolve as such. And so obviously, yes, we do deal with behavior issues or when things get really sticky and when you're trying to navigate relationships at work, which is a very difficult thing. Outside of my role in leaf management, usually because that's what people call HR for, I either get the physician that is frustrated Mm -hmm. with their leader and the behaviors of their leader Uh or a leader, a a physician that's in a leadership role, reaching out to try to figure out some strategies to deal with some behavior stuff. So, yes, of course, we get involved in it, but it's way bigger and farther spread than just employee relations. Oh, I'm so glad you were providing that increased information and awareness for our listeners, right? I thought I'm pretty experienced and I really took several humble pills as I had a chance to experience many, more than one or two of the roles you just described in my role as a frontline physician, as a division chief, during my time as surgeon in chief, you bet you. So that partnership was helpful. Let's just go to the very basics, right? Could you share with our listeners who should even consider taking a leave? And frankly, what are all the different types of leave? Like I had no idea, right? Like all the different types of leave and didn't understand the state law, federal law, frankly, as a protection for employees and as a benefit. Absolutely. And yes, <laughs> I could talk for hours about I know we leave. Won't. We'll, we'll be <laughs> simple and just name some of the, yeah, the most common absolutely. types. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So first off, let's talk about who okay. should be taking leave, right? Yeah. Regardless of our age, regardless of our position, job title, pay, compensation program you're in, specialty or status, anyone could be affected and could need a leave of absence or some kind of accommodation in their career during their lifetime? The answer to that is easy, everyone. Yeah, they may <laughs> not realize that, but we're telling you, listeners, you too, can, you, you can take a leave if you need it. Okay, great. Exactly. Yeah, employers are, are going <laughs> to, they don't want us I to I know, they're going to run away from us. And the most important thing to remember is that it's there as a protection. Mm-hmm. So that actually you could focus on the thing that's most important, which is your health or the health of the loved one. It is not, I know it may have a negative connotation and it might be scary to come to take that decision, but it, it, it shouldn't be a negative mark on your career that you had to take a leave of absence. Well, I'm so glad, okay, we got to pause and reflect on the sentence you just said, because <clears throat> I'm going to be honest with you. We did all this work for the sake of our colleagues in 2019. But when I was going through leave, when I activated it, I'm just going to come out and say the amount of guilt, shame, all I worried about was impacting my partners, doubled up calls so that during my leave, they are not taking extra call. And then I felt horribly guilty. Hey, I don't have cancer. The fact that I would look at my own challenges, can't move my shoulder, arm, have numbness, tingling and pain, can't sleep at night as not worthy (laughs) yet of leave is because our thinking is 
just not objective and certainly unhealthy, and hence this podcast. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, thank you. I'm going to list a few types. I think what I've learned from you and from the work we did, there's not only, of course, sickness, right? Mm -hmm. We mentioned maternity. Mm -hmm. FMLA is more than just like maternity, right? It's any family-related stuff. Mm -hmm. I didn't know there's a military, Mm -hmm. and I think there's bereavement. Mm -hmm. I didn't know adoption, foster care care of elderly parents, dependent children, maybe with special needs, and your own spouses with health issues, correct? All this are good enough reasons. There are just a few examples of reasons to take a leave of absence. It could be your own medical condition, of course, but it could be to care for a family member with a serious health condition. Like you mentioned, it could be a military leave. It could be actually to deal with a situation if your spouse is actually deployed and um, you need to take leave to handle some personal issues around your spouse's deployment. What's the like duration? Maybe we should clarify for the audience. Is there a minimum, a maximum? There are. And the answer to that is specific to the kind of leave that you will be eligible to receive. And it is very specific to your company and to the state that you live in. So, for example, okay, the FMLA, which is the Federal Medical Leave Act, is to take leave for your own or to care for a family member. And there's tons of information on the government website that you can check on eligibility and what you need, where you need to work to be eligible. But specifically there, you're going to get 12 weeks of leave in a 12-month period. But there are other state laws and regulations, and the specific portion for the military leave has different time length requirements that they can approve based on your situation. But generally, for the most part, you're looking at about a 12-week for your typical family medical leave of absence. And then as for other things, let's say my elderly parent has an acute issue, I would assume then that's individualized. I can ask for anywhere from a week, two, three, four, et cetera. Is that correct? Right. It's up okay. to 12 weeks um, Got it. during Got any it. kind of 12-month period. Now, Julie, I think we want to hone in for a second because I've heard it and have to explain it more than once in my career. So I think it's worth mentioning. Please. The Federal Family Medical Leave Act, the the FMLA, allows for those 12 weeks during a 12-month period, but it is a total of 12 weeks regardless of the situation. So for example, if you took six weeks to care for an elderly parent with a medical condition. Got it. Uh-huh. And then later, you, you're an expecting parent. And that same year where you took the six weeks, you're going to be at home with this baby bonding or maybe having a baby. You only have six weeks left. It's cumulative in a 12-month period. Thank you for explaining that. It could take, be taken continuously or broken up. That's correct. Okay, that makes sense. We can go into a little bit more detail about how you can take FMLA in particular, but that's just one of the leave types that will protect your job. Okay, sounds good. I read about something called an education leave. I had no idea that's possible. Maybe it's not applicable to physicians. If you don't mind clarifying, I have to admit, as I've gone through this master's in medical management program, 
thank God it's mostly remote, but how does that apply to us physicians? Yeah. Yes. Great question. So some companies do offer an educational leave of absence where an employee will ask for a continuous or a block leave to complete a particular education program. I've seen companies, and it varies per company, but I've seen companies be willing to support up to a year of unpaid leave where they will hold a position for you to be able to, for example, finish a master's program or a specific fellowship, for example. Absolutely great question. And yes, this is one of the things that is worth to check your policies and check your benefits at work to see what you will be entitled to receive. That's awesome. And again, if nothing else, I just hope the listeners will at least take a few minutes and figure out who is their HR partner from this podcast. One of the challenges um, that I experience in complex health system is if you don't have a name, you don't have a person, you don't have a phone number readily accessible, you never have the time and you will never make the time, which is just a black hole. So you, it's just easier for busy doctors to just <laughs> ignore it and move on, right? And that just unfortunately makes it harder. Yes. And you said something really interesting here about having a contact name. So or complex organizations have gotten really good at just pushing third-party companies out there and a phone number for you to call without a name attached to it, which you know, depersonalizes it a bit. But I guarantee you that if you work in an organization where there is an HR, a freestanding HR department, you have an HR partner. So at least knowing who that person is and being able to reach out to ask simple questions about your benefits is a great start. You know, since we're on that topic, why don't we just go there? I think the easiest example we can provide is in the last organization we worked at together. We were both employed. We worked in the same organization. You are the HR partner in charge of leave management. However, I didn't realize until we worked together that the third-party vendor, right? There was this whole other company. Can you explain that a little bit? Because I'm sure by now the audience may be confused and understand when do they interact with the third party? When do they interact with you? Yeah, absolutely. Often companies will contract a third-party outside company to manage something, whether it is a benefit or whether it is some kind of paperwork. In the last organization where we worked, the company had outsourced their leave paperwork to an outside company. And so that company would handle the paperwork process of it. So when someone needed leave, they would call and they will send you the forms and give you a deadline of when the forms were due. And then they would follow up with an approval or a denial letter based on the paperwork that they received. Most of the time, what that company is lacking is the communication specific to the company back to the employee. If they have additional benefits like list make an example and, and we'll talk about maybe the benefits side of leave in a second. But take, for example, someone who is struggling with mental health. Okay. Great example. <laughs> yes. Mental health is just health. So we should be paying attention to it just the same way as we would pay attention to any other health issue. Amen. Yes. Let's say that someone's struggling with mental health. They decide they need to take a few weeks off of work. And that third company, third party, does not know that we might offer an employee assistance program. And so that is a piece that they will not know to offer to you. Or maybe they have a different vendor that handles short-term disability or long-term disability benefits. 
So there is a lack of connection there. Having someone at your company in your HR team talk to, you know, being able to talk to that person and talk to you about what else is available for you to be able to take advantage of while you're on leave or what you're probably already paying for as an employee, it's key. And actually, I think it's how we we came up with our tool, how we worked on it together and developed it for our employees. It's because there was a lack of connection in oftentimes. Yes, I was managing the conversation and the leave management process in the back end. But if someone called the third party and I never knew that they called them, they were missing out on some of that information that we were able to put together for them. Speaking personally, I can say that I called the number, right? That's one thing we did is make that number posted everywhere in every physician lounge so everybody knows, right? That was the third party. The only thing I knew is when they generate eligibility or activate, they did communicate with my immediate supervisor. But it was, thank goodness, in the same time, I was also communicating with you, right? And understanding specific to the organization. So again, what we want our listeners to take away is number one, for your own sake, please take the time to at least know who represents HR in, if you're employed. And two, understand if it's a third party or not. And just know that in a time of need, at the very, you know, before you agonize about should I or should I not, The first thing is just go ahead and ask for more information so that you can make the best decision, right? Quick question. I think while we're on terminology, what's the difference between short-term disability, long-term disability, FMLA? I have to admit, I mean, it took for a while there, I was a bit confused what I was going through. And most people are, unfortunately. The way to look at it is that when you're taking a leave of absence, you have to look at a leave of absence as a twofold situation. One is job protection. So how can I ensure that I come back to my job and that I still keep my benefits? And then the second piece that often goes hand in hand and is probably just as important is wage replacement benefits. Okay, that's a very important topic for our listeners. Go ahead. Yes. So one piece of it is your FMLA, ADA, or any kind of state protected leave. So for example, for those of you who are listening from New Jersey, it will be your New Jersey FLA. So some states have job protected leaves that are specific to their state. Those are your job protection laws. It means that if you meet certain eligibility, you can take X amount of time in X amount period of time. Without losing your job. Nothing to do with your pay or wages. Yep. Specifically the federal FMLA. The federal FMLA actually doesn't pay, doesn't guarantee pay. So they are giving you the protected time, but it's likely unpaid. And if you work in a company that doesn't provide additional pay time off or benefit time off or having purchased short-term disability or long-term disability or that might, you know, whatever that may be, you're likely taking those weeks unpaid. Yep. So that's where the short-term disability comes in. Yeah, that makes sense. So when I, um, I'll just share publicly, right? When I activated leave, I thought, well, let me do six weeks. That should be enough to call a timeout, really spend hours in therapy and treatment, which I've been just kind of in denial that I needed. And I remember this first concern is what about my salary and my pay? And then um, in hindsight, which I 
want the listeners to know it's different for everyone based on your employer and their structure. For me, I remember I was already paying. We were talking about every month as I pay for health insurance, dental insurance, I was already, as an employee, contributing to short-term disability. So I was able to use an accumulated number of hours that I think now it's all lumped as PTO, but it used to be called something else for leave. Mm -hmm. I was able to use that, I think, to cover 40%, while 60% was covered by short-term disability. So I was made whole. So that was a huge mental stress pressure off of me along with the guilt of leaving, right? Because one of the reasons I won't take leave is if I'm the, especially the sole bread earner, unless I'm dying, I'm going to work because we got to pay bills. Exactly. For the listeners, two things I want to mention about short-term disability for our listeners, because there's going to be two things that are important for you to know around short-term disability. The first one is 99% of any short-term disability plan that's out there, whether it's employer-provided, whether you're paying for it, whether you are going to a third company to purchase insurance on your own, like insurance companies out there that might provide it, almost all of them have a waiting period or an elimination period. Okay. That is the period of time where your insurance is not going to pay you wage benefits. They're waiting to see if you're going to be longer out longer than X amount of time. If you have short-term disability or if you are looking to purchase short-term disability, which is a smart thing to do, check the elimination period or the waiting period. What would be acceptable versus a red flag? Well, I've seen short-term disability periods have anywhere between three days to 14 days. Okay. That is acceptable. Yeah, I think I think mine was seven. Seven, yes. Anything beyond 14 days, you probably want to weigh it in. And an easy way to calculate it is, of course, think about your finances at home. Do you have savings that can take you through that waiting period? Or do you have enough sick time or PTO to be able to cover you during that time until your benefits kick in? Got it. Um, Another piece that I wanted to tell the listeners for those expecting mothers, if you're taking 12 weeks of leave in a company that doesn't provide paid parental leave and you don't have a state benefit that will add it on, think that most short-term disabilities are only going to pay you a benefit for the disability period of your leave, which is usually six to eight weeks, not for the entire 12. So budget appropriately. No, that's an excellent point. And then just very quickly, um, I'm thinking for a lot of people, the only leave, let me say this, the benefit they know is PTO, pay time off. Do people have to use all their PTO while on leave? Great question. So some employers require you to use your paid time off, any paid time off available while you're out on a leave of absence. The policies will depend on the company that you work for. So another thing to familiarize yourself with. Also ask if it's possible for you to reserve or bank some time. Some companies do allow it. And it's great knowing that if you have a planned vacation that you will be able to take it paid. Or if you have kids and you need a little bit of time in case they get sick, it's a great question to ask. But yes, it is possible that your company requires you to use your paid time off. Okay. And then just to clarify, 
even when one is on leave, they should still have all the other benefits that their employer provides, right? Absolutely. Specifically, if you're under a job protection like FMLA, your benefits should continue the way that they are. Now, your company might require you to make the premium payments for those benefits while you're on leave on their schedule. So if you're going to take an unpaid leave of absence with your company, a good thing to do is to contact your HR person and try to see what options there are to pay for those benefits while you are on leave so that they will continue as you have them. Awesome. You know, lately I've been very intentional in whether it's public speaking articles. I've been really intrigued by the, this notion of psychological safety. So I want to ask you just a little bit about your experience helping physicians navigate leave, right? The immense stress, because we already said they're not leaving or taking leave until it's dire. Is it hardest, you think, setting up the leave during the leave, returning to work? Or what have you heard from physicians as they go through this process? I think the hardest part of the process is starting the request. It's actually taking that leap of faith into reaching out and saying, okay, I need to take a break. I need to focus on my health. And so part of the leap of faith is actually making the jump, not knowing if something's going to catch us or be able to return to normal, unquotes, right? Whatever that normal feeling may be. Fear that we would be retaliated against when we come back to work, which is illegal, by the way. There should be no retaliation And you should be contacting your HR partner if you experience any type of retaliation or anything that feels like you're being given the worst assignments because you were on leave or the worst schedule, the worst on-call schedule because you were on leave. Those are things that really shouldn't be happening when you return to work. So don't let the fear hold you back from actually starting that process. Have you ever heard expressions of regret for not activating leave sooner? Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. I was actually just providing training to someone today new to our organization. And I was explaining the the leave process and she uh, lost her husband in 2021. She was telling me her own experiences. She said she was so um, focused on work that her husband actually got a very difficult diagnosis in January and he was gone by March. Wow. Unfortunately. And the one thing she regrets is not taking the time and spending it with him. That is an incredibly powerful story. May none of us ever have to be in that situation. But as I know, we are all human, you know, pretending or wishing it away or being in denial doesn't doesn't help me up. I've really come to um, reflect over this past decade, right? It's hard, you know, in medicine, we, we tend to focus inward on ourselves because we have so much responsibility, but really humbling when I realize the impact on my loved ones. My inaction, not focusing on whether it's my health, stubbornness, not willing to take a break for fear, even calling out sick for fear of disruption to patients, how people will perceive me, you know, that I'm weak, what, whatever it is, the inner voice, that's not helping. But then I have just waited too long to understand the impact on my loved ones. It's, it wasn't just about me. My refusing to take time and be present for myself, for them, really was unfair to them. And I think that's one point I would love uh, for our listeners to know. 
you're right. We could talk about this for a long time, but there are a couple other topics I like to ask you. Tell me any examples of leave where you help physicians navigate that where it, gosh, you know, your heart must be full and broken from stories that affected their life, relationship, you know, anything at all you might want to share. Yes, unfortunately, there are stories. Um, this job allows me to help people, but it also allows me to talk to people when they're at their most vulnerable and dealing with the worst situations of their lives um, often. And so there are there are stories that will never leave me. And unfortunately, countless stories, but two come to mind. One in particular was a um, physician who um, had a history of dealing with some mental health challenges. As we know, and you've probably all have definitely dealt with, the years that we have lived through the pandemic has really heightened mental health situations. And in this particular time, a physician that I was very well aware of and worked closely with had reached out and he was in that situation. I think I need a leave of absence. I, I'm not doing well. And so being able to help him and not make him feel guilty about taking the time off and having him understand that this is the right thing that he was doing to take care of himself and his family and, you know, helping him through the process and then transitioning to taking care of his family as well and his his when dealing with his wife when he became unable to handle the paperwork himself, which can be very frustrating. The paperwork process can be very frustrating. Right. Which right. I always tell the people that I deal with, it's paper. It can be fixed. It can be redone. So don't let something as simple as paper change your, your focus and your focus is your health and the health of your loved ones. This particular physician did the right thing by taking his time away from work and focusing on his health. Unfortunately, the pressures of life took him too early. Um, and he unfortunately um, have committed suicide at the end of his leave. And it is a situation that you know, will never leave me. It is a case that I'll always think about. And one of the reasons why I'm here talking to you, because I really want people to not feel guilty. I want physicians to be able to say, this is the time that I need for me so that I can come back when it's time and when I'm able to to care for others. Uh, <clears throat> I get choked up because we know there are over 400 physician suicides a year. But I, I do want to say, Tammy, if you never hear it from anyone, thank you. At least at their most vulnerable. Um, and I guarantee a lot of people did not know, but you, you in your role and expertise and in your intentional um, devotion to caring for um, individuals, not just physicians, you know, you were there um, and that's got to weigh heavy on you. Every day. Yeah. But... Um, we all know you did everything you could, and um, because it's still happening, this is why this episode is dedicated to um, people we should not lose <laughs> um, in a, um, decades of career and um, devoted practice to care for others. So thank you for sharing that, because I know that's not easy to share. <laughs> it, it's incredibly difficult to listen to, and I appreciate your, your um, willingness to go there. Absolutely. 
Okay, well, I don't want to wrap up, but I know we have to. Um, I do have, I, I want to make sure that we cover this part. Not all our listeners are employed by a hospital system, although I will say the latest statistics show, wow, over 70%, close to 70% of physicians in the U.S. are now in an employed model. But I do have colleagues who may be in private practice. You know, they own their own practices. I'm curious how applicable is our episode for those who own their own practices when it comes to HR and leave? I mean, there must be, this must be applicable, correct? Absolutely, because health challenges are not going to choose whether you are employed or not in a large organization. They're going to happen to people. They're going to happen to all of us, regardless of where we are employed. So it does apply. So whether you are owning a practice and employ people that may need leave or are one of those physicians working in a small practice, The best bet is to familiarize yourself with your local laws. And if you don't have a person in your office that is knowledgeable of leave laws or the benefits that the state may provide, um, reach out to someone that would. I'm actually offering out there to any of the listeners that if you don't have that person in your life that can help you navigate through a difficult situation, let me be that person. Oh, wow. I don't mind. Are you sure? There are a lot of listeners on Backtable, not just for ENT. This may go to a lot of different doctors. What a gift. Thank you. And I you know, can't promise that I will handhold you the whole way, but I can at least point you into the right direction or say, hey, did you know that in your state you have X benefit available to you? So please reach out to me. I can write you a quick email back and at least point you into the right direction if you don't have that one person in your life. Tammy, I'll tell you, this is exactly who I know you to be. I am so proud and so grateful to have you on the show. This completes my trifecta, no, quadrifecta of episodes that are not specifically to ENT, right? You are the fourth. We've done one on litigation and the impact on physician well-being. We've done one on financial well-being specific to physicians, one on disability and now taking leave. And I got to tell you, I feel really good about at least having this incredible conversation out in the universe because somebody somewhere who's listening sooner or later will be impacted by these issues. And I just want them to know there's somebody incredible like you who's deeply invested and has cared for such a long time and Um, As we wrap up, I will invite you, is there any last word that you want every physician to know about how to take a leave or when? Yes. When in doubt, if you're just having a doubt in your mind, when in doubt, reach out. Even if it amounts to nothing, ask the question. Even if you think it's a silly question, it's probably a big deal. When in doubt, reach out. If you have a question specifically around your particular situation or someone in in your team, obviously there are some rules and regulations about how much we can share. But having those available resources, and obviously I'm not going to provide you legal advice that's uh, totally outside of the scope for me, but I can at least generally uh, point you into the right direction. 
I'm, I'm not sure how we're going to be able to, to share my contact information. Generally, in the past, I know uh, listeners may reach out to Backtable ENT, and then we get your permission to share your contact with them. Is that okay? Great. Yeah. And then also, they can reach me as well. Let me tell you, your new organization is so lucky to have you. So they better know it or I'm going to write a letter. Frankly, <laughs> I see you just having this entire enterprise just all by yourself. One woman show and I want to come work for you. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, I um, I have true passion for helping people. And I know that this is actually a very complex topic. And so the more that we can help others, the better we are for it ourselves. What a pleasure. Thank you so much, Tammy. Tammy Santiago, everyone. Thank you for your time, your expertise. I truly hope our listeners enjoyed our conversation today. Everyone, you can find us on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, Apple, and Ghana. Please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Backtable ENT. We love feedback. Please reach out to us for topics if you have ideas, suggested speakers, or if you just ever want to come on the show. And most of all for this episode, if you need help going on leave. Tammy, thank you and have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you. You as well. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast five stars, and share with a friend. If you have any questions or comments, direct message us at underscore Backtable ENT on Instagram, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Backtable ENT is hosted by Gopi Shaw and Ashley Agan. Our audio team is led by Kieran Gannon with support from Josh McWhorter, Aaron Bowles, Nick Shellcross, and Ness Smith-Savadoff. Design and digital marketing led by Brian Schmitz with support from Taylor's Version Hess and Yvonne Ovijinsky. Social media and PR by Chi Ding. Administrative support provided by Jimmy Lee Kinnebrew. Thanks again for listening and see you next week.